Thank you so much for tuning in to Investment Insight presented by McKay Wealth Advisory. I'm Hayden Prophet, and today we're joined by Brent McKay, and we are going to talk about the Federal Reserve, what their function is, and really what they do. So, Brent, what what give us a background on what started the sure. Federal Reserve. So the Federal Reserve was started after the Great Depression. The idea was to bring stability to inflation and bring stability to um, unemployment. Um, obviously, there was a very bad recession in the 1870s that was actually worse than the Great Depression. Then we had the Great Depression. And so those two events led to the creation of the Federal Reserve. And the idea was we'll have a, a unelected but appointed body of intelligent um, financial people that will try to control inflation and keep unemployment at a reasonable level. And from that, of course, um, over the years, they've had different rules. You know, one of the rules used to be one inflation to be between two and four percent. Now the Federal Reserve actually says we want inflation to be right at two percent. Um, uh, we've had we want unemployment to be around five percent. You know, and so um, and those kind of change based on what is in vogue for the policy year. But the general gist of the Federal Reserve is their goal is to maintain price stability and um, and maintain high employment. Those are their two real goals. So those are the two things they. So those are the two main fundamental goals of the Federal Reserve. Um, they keep talking about federal funds rate. How do they dictate that and why sure. do they use it for different monetary supply issues? So when we look at the Fed funds rate, the Fed funds rate is the overnight or short-term rate that banks charge each other. You know, um, in a weird twist of fate, all the banks themselves actually own the Federal Reserve or control it. And so one of the things by that means is they affect what the overnight rate, when, a, when Bank of America has extra money in their checking accounts and they loan that money out to Wells Fargo or they loan it back to the Federal Reserve, they determine the overnight rate. And so that is a short-term rate. Um, one of the things that historically the, that the Federal Reserve has done is, is they've used short-term rates to affect inflation. You know, if, um, for instance, if you go out and the short-term rate is 5%, on the federal funds rate. Well, then probably a car loan or a, what's called a shorter term loan might have a seven, eight, nine percent interest rate attached to it. Um, if that rate is, let's say, zero um, percent, they may have a two or three percent car loan rate. And so what that does, of course, is that dramatically affects the payment on those cars. You know, if you're, uh, you know, a lot of larger SUVs now cost a hundred thousand dollars. So if you're borrowing money at 8% interest on a $100,000 SUV, you're paying $8,000 a year in interest, or almost $700 a month in interest on your payment. And so um, what that of course does is, it makes a lot of, since most Americans look at whatever's in their account today, is what they get to spend today, and then on Friday when they get paid again, they restart on the weekend. And so whenever you look at vehicles or large purchases, if the economy is going really well and they want to slow that economy down, if they will raise that short-term rate, now all of a sudden people can't afford to make those payments on those cars, on those houses. And when they can't do it, they don't buy them. And when they can't buy a house, they can't buy a car, there's no demand, the price goes down. Because supply just went up. Yeah, because supply, is, supply is going up. And, then, and, and what happens is the car companies notice that people can't buy them, so they stop making the cars, which means they end up laying off a lot of those automotive workers. And now we're back to unemployment rate. And then the unemployment rate goes up. And so 
usually when unemployment rate is too low, which is kind of an oxymoron, right? Like too many people have jobs. That's a bad thing. Well, if there's too much, too many jobs out there and there's not enough people, then you'll get inflation because every company that's growing is going to fight to get the next worker, to get the next person. And so what happens there is those companies are fighting for those employees. They're fighting for those workers and then inflation goes up. Well, then when you want to buy a car, instead of that car costing 50 or 60 grand, it costs 100 grand now. And so those are the same things in effect. And so the Federal Reserve will raise those rates and affect those rates. And those rates have huge implications globally because a lot of countries, almost every country, because the dollar is the reserve currency, because it is the value of all money globally. When, it, when Argentina wants to borrow money, they have to pay more interest than they do in America. So when America raises rates, a lot of the wealthy Argentinians move their money to America to get the interest, which means Argentina's got to pay more, even more than they're paying now, to get that money to leave America and go back to Argentina. And so um, in the late 1990s, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates dramatically, and they caused the emerging markets to have a mini depression because they couldn't access funds. And so the Federal Reserve is probably the most powerful entity in the world. Everybody's wondering like, well, who's the next president's gonna be, or, or who's, next, who's gonna run Congress this year or next year? Well, the Federal Reserve actually has a more of an impact on what unemployment is, what the economy's doing, what the global world is doing. Right, and you know, we talked about the short-term, like the overnight rates with the Fed funds. Explain to me how the long-term rates with, with the ability to buy bonds. Uh, just hit on that for a second, if you so will. So previous to 2010, the Federal Reserve's main function was just on short-term rates. Um, in 2012, you know, 11, 10, we, we went through a pretty nasty financial recession. And, and financial recessions are more difficult than... So you have two different types of recessions. You have a emergency, a Spanish flu, a COVID, a, um, you know, a wildfire comes in and burns down your, um, your community. Those are short-term because once the people that live through it can come back, they rebuild their houses, they rebuild their area. And so when that occurs, it actually causes the economy to drop and then quickly recover. Well, when you have a financial recession, because people go through bankruptcy and because it takes seven years until you can access credit again, those people can't just go bankrupt, lose the house and get another house. They typically have to wait seven years to fix their credit and get back into the housing market. As a result of that process, the Federal Reserve started a new approach, which is called quantitative easing. And quantitative easing is where the Federal Reserve started purchasing mortgage bonds and started purchasing government debt. Because they were, in effect, creating demand, they were printing money, they were creating demand, and there's only so much supply interest rates started going down. Because when more people are buying, when they're printing money to buy bonds, they're gonna, they're gonna, you get a mortgage at your house, they're gonna buy that mortgage indirectly through Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. They're gonna cause those mortgage rates to go down. And so in a lot of cases, we have seen historically low interest rates because the Federal Reserve 
printed money and loaned you money indirectly to buy that two or three percent mortgage. And so when the Federal Reserve starts doing it, everybody else in the market has to compete with the Federal Reserve, so they lower their interest rates too. Now, quantitative tightening is the opposite price process. And, and go back to that process again, is what they're doing there is they are causing there to be demand. So if the economy goes into a recession, the economy slows down, they are creating demand, which means they're gonna cause housing prices to gonna go up. They're gonna cause some of that money to go in the stock market. They're gonna cause the stock market to go up. They're creating demand. Okay, now quantitative tightening is where instead of them buying those bonds, they start selling them. And, and that's kind of a little different thing because you think about, well, I buy something, I, I sell something. So if you buy Bank of America from me, I bought it. I mean, I sold it and you bought it. So there's a, a winner and a, I mean, someone bought it, someone sold it. Yeah, and the price could fluctuate. So one of us is going to win, one of us is going to lose. Correct. But in quantitative tightening, you have a mortgage in your house. You move from Nashville to Manchester. Well, when you move your house, you sell your mortgage and you want to get a new, new house. New house, new mortgage. Well, now the Federal Reserve takes that money when you had that mortgage before with them, and instead of letting you buy that same mortgage again, they say, we're going to pull that money out of the system. And so in effect, they are burning money. So on one hand, they're, they're pushing money in the system. On the other hand, they're pulling money out of the system. And that has a huge impact on inflation because if you think about it, if there's only a million dollars in the world, the value of dollars are going to be very, very high. If there's a trillion dollars in the world, the value of dollars are going to be less than if it was a million. So by them burning money, by them pulling money out of the economy, they're bringing down inflation. The thing about inflation that's really important is in America, in history, we always have more people, whether we have more births or we have more immigration. There's always been more Americans in our country every day. So there's a, there is a need to print money because, you know, I've got seven kids. When they start working, they're going to be contributing to society. And at that point, maybe I retire or whatever, but there's going to be seven people replacing one. And so you need more money in order to maintain a stable supply. So if the population in America grows three or 4% a year, then you would typically have three to 4% more money in order to maintain your value standard. Okay. So, with the, so when the Federal Reserve wants to bring down inflation, if they start burning money and more people come to America, it has a multiplying effect, which can really, really reduce inflation, but it can have a huge impact on what your house is worth. Because if you can't get a 2% mortgage anymore and you have to go get an 8% mortgage, you may not qualify for that better deal. And if you don't qualify for that loan, you can't buy that half a million dollar house. You gotta go down to a two or three hundred thousand dollar house. Right. Which means a lot of people won't move. Because why would you get a smaller house? And so when that happens, of course, that slows down inflation because when there's less demand, then the price goes down. Right. You know, and so that has a huge impact. And so those are kind of a modern thing and we're still kind of evolving that, but we're, we're seeing the impact of um, 
of the short-term rates and you know and these quantitative easing and tightening it's a it's a big deal in federal reserve yeah and i think that's something great that we hit on there just the overall purpose and what the the current fed is doing you know this is the fed of post 2010 and and post that, not prior to 2010 and how they're using these different things. So I think that's a great thing that we hit on. Thanks for... Uh, and then one other thing too that we didn't get to talk about is there's this thing called the wealth effect. And so one of the things that the Federal Reserve really, the modern Federal Reserve believes in is they believe that if you see your investment accounts and they're bigger than they were last year, you're going to go on more vacations. You're going to spend more money. Because one of the things that the modern Fed is doing is they're looking at the psychology of money. It changes people. Yeah. It changes, like if I, if I go from making what I do to five and a half million a year, it changes on what you spent, bigger house, bigger boat, bigger, yeah. name it. And that's, and that's the number one thing. So it's never, you know, the, the biggest thing in Americans, most Americans, when they make more money, they spend more money. When they feel better about their job, when they feel better about the economy, they tend to spend more money. So one of the things that the modern Fed has been researching, and I fully believe that they really believe in, is this idea of the psychology of money. And what's interesting about that is, historically, the Federal Reserve is always data-driven. It always would move and do things based on data. So you, see, you get a good data point, you know that they're going to make the decision. Well, now the Fed likes to talk a lot more. They like to try to use their words to affect how people feel about money. They're going after the qualitative aspect as opposed to the quantitative aspect. Quantitative is there's some target, some number, yeah. some statistical variable out there of what they have in mind versus now they're going to the qualitative of, well, how does this influence this person? Well, and that's the thing. So when you look at today, a lot of times the Federal Reserve may not be changing policy. They may not be doing anything. But if they know if they can scare people a little bit, then they can cause interest rates to go up. They can cause... Um, that car to cost more money. They can cause those car sales to go down. And so one of the big things that is affecting the markets today is there's a lot more talking. And when we look at that as an investors, we have to be aware of that. But in the day, you know, growing up, growing up in Missouri, the show me state, you can talk a lot. But eventually the market starts more focusing on what you're doing and not what you're saying. So the quantitative part of that, where you're actually looking at what they do is where the Fed really will be. But that is a big deal. So when you see the Federal Reserve talk or you see them do things, don't be surprised if they're using a little bit more of the talk than they historically have done. And, and it has an impact. And we've, we've seen this um, in recent history where them just talking causes the rates to move without them doing anything. And so that's something that's a big part of the Federal Reserve now. Right. And I think one thing I've seen definitely is people want their 401ks to grow, but with inflation they still want to be able to purchase the same amount. Correct. So those two things kind of move in tandem of as far as, you know, you want your 401k to grow, but also inflation is growing a little bit too. So it's kind of like can't have your cake and eat it too. Well, you can. You can, but it's tough. It, but so, so historically when inflation is consistent, the stock market does better. But in the 1970s when inflation was high, the stock market did match what inflation was. But normally businesses do like when they know what the consistent price is. Right. So when, it, when a company knows they can charge $2 for a Coca-Cola, they're happy with that. They don't like if, they, if they're gonna be at $1.50 or $2.50. If, if Coca-Cola is doing a study and they know they can charge X amount of money, they feel confident. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for hitting on all the different Fed topics and everything. I think this was really interesting yeah. and a 
great topic. So thank you for tuning in to Investment Insight. Have a great day. Thanks.